The Bible is full of imagery. And it's full of imagery that describes not only what Jesus Christ has done, but ultimately who He is. And one of those pieces of imagery that we're going to be talking about today as we continue on in our series, Christ Our Treasure, is that of a shepherd. Shepherding is a theme that runs from literally the beginning of the Bible and all the way to the end. It is imperative that we understand what a shepherd is and what he does. Because Jesus is going to tell us that he is, in fact, in this passage, the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, and the worthy shepherd. And so if we do not know what a shepherd is or what he's about, then we miss actually what Jesus is saying. And the one thing that we don't want to do as Christians is miss what Jesus is saying. Amen? So here's the deal. I want to tell you a story because I want it to illustrate for you that you might not be thinking of a shepherd quite how you should. I know that I, uh, before I experienced the story that I'm about to tell you, uh, was clueless as to the nature of, say, a shepherd in the first century. Because when you think shepherd, you probably think, you've seen pictures of Jesus, right? You probably think someone who uh, is walking around with a staff uh, and who is petting the lambs and the sheep and, and he's leading them through pastures and he's clipping them. He's going out to find the, the lost sheep and that's true. And, and sometimes in these pictures of shepherds, they have long flowing hair and, and robes that kind of glide as they walk through, uh, you know, the, the wilderness. And here's the deal. A lot of that is true. Shepherds care for the sheep. They love the sheep. They, they, they seek to heal the sheep when they are wounded. And we're going to get into that because that's, that's Jesus, amen. He is a shepherd that is laden with all kinds of balms for the sheep. Us. We are the sheep. But when I was in the military, I spent a lot of time uh, in a place called Djibouti, Africa. If you don't know where that's at, it's in the Horn up to the northeast side, right by Somalia, Eritrea, and, 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 and such. And it functions much like what I would think the first century functioned like. And I remember going into a village that literally they lived in stick huts. Uh, and, I, and I bought a really cool sword for my stepdad that was made by someone who literally just sat around and banged on metal all day. I mean, this was first century Jerusalem-esque, okay? And there was a guy walking around with a bunch of sheep and he had some armor on and he had a sword from this this, this, uh, this blacksmith that was in the town. And I remember speaking to the interpreter and I said, hey, what is this guy? Or who is this guy? I see he's got kind of sheep following him, but he seems like a cop. Or like, is he the one who thumps people and cuts them up when they get out of line? Like, who is this guy? And they said, oh, no, that's our shepherd. And everything that I learned in, you know, Sunday school and everything that I had uh, read about what a shepherd was, was absolutely obliterated. Because to me, I'm thinking, that's what soldiers do. That's not what shepherds do. And so I asked the interpreter, I said, hey, how is that? A What's going on here? And he said, well, look, shepherds, yes, it is true. They are loving and caring for the sheep. They have to be. But they're warriors because they also have to be. 
See, in a society like that, to care for the sheep also means to protect the sheep. To protect the sheep from, yes, the harsh realities of the weather, uh, thieves and robbers who would come to take them uh, because their meat would satiate them, their wool would keep them warm in the winter, and so on. And so uh, there is human beings that are after them. There are beasts that are after them. And so the shepherd cannot be a weakling. And he must not be a hireling. And so what Jesus is going to do in this passage, which, by the way, is John chapter 10, verses 11 through 16, is he's going to explode for us what it means to be a shepherd. He's going to speak to aspiring shepherds. He's going to speak to false shepherds. But most importantly, friends, he's going to speak to the sheep. He's going to speak to the sheep. And that's us. And so what we're going to do because we want to be transformed by the power of the Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit, is we're not going to do what a lot of preachers do when they come to this text, which is we're not going to talk about sheep. We're going to talk about the shepherd. Because most preachers, when they get to this text, they will say, well, sheep, let me tell you about sheep. Sheep, you know, they're annoying. They're kind of stupid. Sometimes they break their legs. And, and you know, it, it takes a really awesome shepherd to come. No. No. Look. This text here wants us to get our eyes off of our navel and onto the beauty and unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus. Amen? So would you stand with me for the honoring and reading of God's holy, infallible, and sufficient word. Starting in verse 10, or 11 rather. Actually, no, let's go ahead and start in 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. I, Jesus says, am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches and scatters them. Because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep, I am the good shepherd. And I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not from this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. And they will become one flock with one shepherd. Will you have a seat and pray with me? Father God, we thank you so much for this beautiful word. We thank you that you have condescended to help us understand the shepherd-like nature of the incarnate Son. We ask that you would incline our ear and our hearts to these realities so that we might see Christ more clearly, that we might love him more dearly, and we may chase after him more fervently so that the work of our hands can honor him and make his gospel known in the world. We ask that you would help us to be sheep that cling closely to our shepherd. Who come out of the fold of the world into the arms of our heavenly shepherd. And we ask that you would do that today, not because we merit any of it, but because your son has. So Lord, we ask that you would send the spirit here to convict us of sin where we need to be convicted. 
and to propel us into a life of Christ-likeness. Lord, the Puritans often said that the same sun that melts the ice hardens the clay. And Lord, we ask that you would not do any hardening today, but that you would be softening the hearts of your people so that they may love more deeply. We ask all of this in Jesus' matchless and meritorious name. Amen. I want you to look with me here at verse 11. Verse 11, Jesus starts out by confronting the, Harris, uh, to the Pharisees and letting them know that he is, in fact, the good shepherd. Now, in context, if you've read up to this point in the Gospel of John, you will find that the Pharisees have already tried to kill, kill him about three times. He's escaped such, and he has essentially stepped on their toes repeatedly. Because he is trying to show them that he is the antitype of all the failed types in the Old Testament. When he comes to say, I am the good shepherd, what he's actually saying, maybe a better way to render the Greek here is, I am the shepherd, the good one. And he's contrasting the reality of all of the false shepherds that Israel, as a people, had been suffering from. See, God, throughout the Old Testament, tried to shape and tried to conform his shepherds to his heart because since the beginning, God was called the great shepherd. But the shepherds of Israel were failing to love the sheep as they ought. And so Jesus comes and he says, I am the shepherd, I am the good one. And another way you could translate this word good is within the, uh, the semantic range would be something uh, akin to worthy. He's the worthy shepherd. He's the, the shepherd that ought to be admired and trusted. And what you will find as you read the Bible that actually when Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, he's actually telling the Pharisees who knew their Bible very well that he has come to fulfill a promise that God had made in the Old Testament, namely from Ezekiel 34. And I want you to turn there with me because we're going to read a lot of it. So go to Ezekiel 34. God is confronting the false shepherds of Israel who have done atrocious things to his people. Starting in verse 1 of chapter 34 of Ezekiel, God says, Then the word of Yahweh came to me saying, and he's speaking to Ezekiel, telling him to prophesy, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Woe, shepherds of Israel who have been shepherding, or if you use the New American Standard, the word uh, is translated there, feeding, have been feeding or shepherding themselves. Should not the shepherds shepherd the flock? Translation, the shepherds of Israel are only caring about their comfort. They're only caring about how they look. They're only caring about shepherding and taking care of themselves. They're only concerned about honor and respect. They're not concerned about the sheep. Those are sickly, verse 4, you have not strengthened, and the diseased you have not healed, and the broken you have not bound up, and the scattered you have not brought back. Nor have you searched for the lost, but with strength and with severity you have dominated them. I 
They were scattered for a lack of a shepherd, and they became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. My flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth. And there was no one to seek or search for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my flock has become plunder, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field for lack of a shepherd. And my shepherds did not seek for my flock, but rather the shepherds shepherded themselves or fed themselves and did not shepherd my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus said Lord Yahweh, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will seek my flock from the hand, from their hand, and make them cease from shepherding the flock. So the shepherds will not shepherd themselves anymore. But I will deliver my flock from their mouth, so that they will not be food for them. For thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I myself will seek my sheep and care for them. You see, God here is rebuking the nation of Israel and He promises to send Himself to shepherd His people. And Jesus comes on the scene and He sees the Pharisees doing the same exact thing that these failure false shepherds were doing in the history of Israel. And He says, listen, I am the good shepherd. I am the worthy one. I am the shepherd that ought to be admired. All of a sudden, everybody's ears is perking up. Who does this guy think he is? We're the shepherds of Israel. We're the pastors. How dare this man come and say, we have no need of him. Let's try to kill him. By the way, the more you read the gospel with this sort of eye, the more you realize why Jesus actually was killed. <laughs> he confronted the elite. He confronted those who were setting themselves up as authorities on behalf of God and cared not for God and how He told them to govern. And so Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Revelation 7.17 says, For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, who's the Lamb Jesus, and will guide them to springs of the water of life, and God will wipe every tear from their eyes. This shepherd is not one who is going to be, or is rather, severe or domineering but one who wipes tears from eyes and guides us in paths of righteousness. Isaiah 40, 11 says, Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in his bosom. He will gently lead the nursing hues. The question is, friends, how does he do that? That's some good facts. But how does he accomplish that? If I say, we'll go to the store and get a carton of milk, you might say, okay, cool. How do you do that? What are the means by which you will accomplish that goal? Well, this text tells us exactly that. 
how Jesus is going to accomplish this reality, his good shepherdness, if you will. Now, this is not exhaustive, but these are three marks that Jesus gives us that helps us understand what it means to be a real shepherd. And I want you to lean in. If you just identify as a needy, clingy sheep, and you should, then this message is for you. If you are somebody who is desirous of church leadership, this message is for you. If you sit underneath leadership, this message is for you. If you need a clearer picture of Jesus, this message is for you. So we're going to see three marks of what it means to be a good shepherd. So that we can gaze at the unsearchable riches of Christ Jesus, our treasure. The first being from this text that he lays his life down for his sheep. He dies. Secondarily, he intimately knows his sheep. He knows. And thirdly, he gathers and unites his sheep. Firstly, he lays his life down for his sheep. Once again, verse 11, I am the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches and scatters them because he is a hired hand and is not concerned about the sheep. What Jesus is doing here, first of all, is he's contrasting once again those who are false shepherds with his true shepherdness. And one of the ways he does that here in this text is he helps us see that, that unless you are the owner of the sheep, unless they know you and you know them by name, then oftentimes they're going to hit the eject button when things go wrong. I love the King James Version in this specific text because it calls those false shepherds not just hired hands, but hirelings. Here's the lesson that Jesus is teaching us here before we get to the reality of Him laying down His life is that shepherds are not people who punch in and punch out. They're not people working for a paycheck. Right? Because when you're working for a paycheck, which is an honorable thing to do, don't hear what I'm not saying, okay? Some of us have jobs where we walk in, we punch in, and we punch out. We don't think about it, so we punch in, punch out. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about shepherds. And shepherds do not hit the eject button when comfort gets removed. Now, when I worked at Best Buy and I was in the geek squad, if things got too hardcore for me to bear... They weren't paying me enough money for me to really want to stay there. And so I might start putting resumes in somewhere. But shepherds, and this is important to understand because if we don't understand this, then we're not going to understand what Jesus says when he says that he lays his life down for a sheep. Shepherds give all of themselves all of the time. That's what they're called to do. They're not sneaking in, right? They're, they give themselves to the, if we think about it in the context of our local church, they, they give themselves to the local church. 
They give themselves to prayer. They give themselves to the study of the Word. They give themselves to hospital visits. They give themselves to phone calls. They give themselves to meeting with people, loving them as best that they humanly can do. And when they fail to do the best that they can do, or when they fail and sin in some sort of way, then it's their job to point them to the shepherd of shepherds, namely Jesus Christ, who is perfect and who shepherds wonderfully and beautifully. But shepherds give themselves away. But false shepherds, as this says, who do not own the sheep, when they see the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and they flees, and the wolf snatches them, And scatters them. What is the wolf here? We're dealing with a metaphor, and so we have to ask, right? Because the reality is you're probably not getting chased down by wolves every time you're, you know, going to and fro. The wolf is anything that seeks to destroy the life of the sheep. Whether that be external or internal. Whether that be persecution whether that be temptation, whether that be sin, Jesus, the shepherd, is not bailing out. But a hireling will. A false shepherd will. He absolutely will. And why that's so damaging, and why that's important that Jesus brings this up, is because when wolves come, and they're not shepherds, they harm the sheep. They're not indifferent to them. They harm them. They're negligent and they should never be shepherds because what they wind up doing then is they wind up, as it says here, snatching, uh, snatching them, allowing the wolves to snatch them and scatter them. That is to kill them and to disperse them, to isolate them. Did you know, apart from dying, apart from being killed, the worst thing that can happen to A sheep of Jesus is to be isolated from the body of Christ. You can't do this on your own. I can't do this on my own. Pastor Darren can't do this on his own. We need a shepherd because we are sheep. And we need God's under shepherds because we are sheep. And the shepherds need a shepherd. Amen? And so because Jesus is not a hireling, because he's not a hired hand, because he's not going to bail out, he gives himself even to the point of death for his sheep. He dies for his sheep. He says it multiple times in this text, but here in verse 11, he says it very clearly. I am the good shepherd. And guess what the good shepherd does? He lays down his life for the sheep. Who are the sheep? His sheep. The sheep that have been given to him by the Father. Jesus says elsewhere that all that the Father has given to me, I will not ever abandon. What's in my hand, essentially Jesus is saying, came from the Father's hand. And he has given me, Jesus Christ, the task of not losing not one of them. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody comes to the Father except through me. And in Philippians chapter 1, Paul says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. But in order for that reality to be true, Jesus has to die for his sheep. 
There's a doctrinal reality here that we have to lend ourselves to understanding. When it's saying here that Jesus is dying for a sheep, yes, on one level, it's simply just saying the opposite of what's been said thus far. He is willing to go the extra mile. He is willing to give himself for the sheep. He's not punching in. He's not punching out. He is, in fact, the shepherd who will care for them, bind their wounds, heal them. When they're sick, he will be there for them. But he also gave his life as a ransom for many. Hebrews 13, 20 says, Now the God of peace who brought up from the dead the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal covenant, even Jesus, our Lord. Jesus dying was not just his sacrificial death to inspire you. It was a sacrificial death to secure for you your sheepness. You get what I mean by that? Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world, was given by God the Father in the covenant of redemption. God the Father planned salvation. Jesus Christ was given to the world to perform the work of redemption, and the Holy Spirit thus is sent to apply the redemption that Jesus Christ has purchased and God the Father has made possible. This shepherd lives the life that you cannot live. This shepherd died the death that you deserve to die for your rebellion against God. Then, this shepherd rises from the dead. God puts his stamp of approval on this Savior shepherd. He then ascends to heaven. He is given a crown and he is given a kingdom and he is given sheep to shepherd. And he is not going anywhere because he bled for you. He bled for you. He died for you. He rose for you. He lives, as Hebrews says, to intercede for you. This is our great and beautiful shepherd, friends. And we know that because he has tasted death, he can be there for us on our way to death, which, by the way, is simply our existence. Oh, what a Savior. What a shepherd. Secondarily, he intimately knows us. Moving on, he says this. I am the good shepherd, he repeats, and I know my own, and my own know me, even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay my life down for the sheep. You see this theme repeating, if you will. But as I said, the second point here is that he intimately knows his sheep. One of the reasons it's important for you to read the Bible and read it often is you realize that the way in which the Hebrews and the uh, first century Greek people understood things is wildly, differently than, wildly different than the way that you understand things here in modern day America. One of those being the word no. Because when I say, hey, do you know something? Because you've been inundated with kind of our modern ethos and collective mind, you think, I know some facts about some things, right? If I said, do you know Sidney? You say, oh, yeah, I know. Sidney is a great guy, right? He's a father. He's, you know, he works hard at home and he builds 
a gazillion, you know, rooms onto his house and he has cows and, uh, you know, I mean, he's just a hardworking guy. I like that guy. Okay, that's information about him. But do you know him? Well, modern minds are like, that's the same thing. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? But the biblical mind is much different. When the Bible talks about knowing, especially when it's deity to creature, is an intimate knowledge. For instance, if you go back to the Old Testament, it even talks about Adam knowing Eve. It's not that he just knew her, he knew her intimately. He knew her relationally. He, he knew her physically in marital ways. And so when Jesus says that he knows his sheep and they know him, it's not that he knows some facts about them. Jesus doesn't just know facts about you. He knows the intricacies of your heart. He knows the way that you think. He knows you personally, and he knows you personally because Jesus actually came to die for you. Jesus did not, I want to say this, this might be somewhat controversial, you've maybe never heard it said like this, Jesus did not die for the possibility for everyone to be saved. That would be a horrible shepherd. Jesus died specifically for his sheep who know his voice. And the reason that they know his voice is because he died for them. When the Pharisees wouldn't listen, what did Jesus say? Y'all just need to try harder. No, Jesus said what? You do not hear my voice because you are not my sheep. Sheep being a sheep comes before anything that you would do. Any decision that you would make. The decisions you make are based upon the reality that you are in fact a blood-bought, purchased sheep. That's the reality of it. So if you're sitting here today and you love Jesus Christ and you want Him and you desire Him and you cling to Him and you want to see Him more as your treasure, you're not smarter than the guy sitting next to you. You have been grabbed and loved in the loving arms of a Savior who has elected you before the foundation of the world and He chased after you and He got His man and He got His woman. If that doesn't blow your hair back, I don't know what will. Some people hate that doctrine. But how can you, when you meet the day of trouble, how can you know that that shepherd is for you if you believe that his shepherding of you is dependent upon your ability to be a good sheep? Because life gets hard sometimes. And if you are not in a trial, as it's been said, you'll meet one around the corner. Or you just got out of one. And how can you believe that Jesus died for you if you think it's dependent upon your ability to be a sheep? You're going to be tossed to and fro. But because... Being a sheep precedes your desire to move. You can believe that Jesus' action of moving toward his sheep is a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. One, uh, 1 John 3.16 says, We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. And then here's a moral lesson. Because he did that, we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Shepherds. 
future shepherds. Because Jesus lived sacrificially, because he died for the sinner who now is the saint, you do the same. And you know what I'm sick and tired of hearing of it? And this may not mean anything. You might turn your ears off here, but for those who are aspiring to ministry, I want to say this. I'm getting sick and tired of hearing would-be shepherds talk about how you know, you got to be careful how you shepherd. You got to you got to build around your like you have to be careful about how much time you give to people and how much thought you give to the Bible because here's the deal. If you do that too much and you don't have enough fun, then you're going to burn out. Listen, if you're going to burn out shepherding God's people, you aren't called to shepherd God's people. God does not call His people to do that which is ultimately going to cause Him to burn out. Now, what I'm not saying, future shepherd, is that you shouldn't take care of yourself. Take care of yourself. Eat healthy. Work out. Love your family well. Maybe set up some boundaries to some degree when it comes to your family, but do not think for a second that you can burn out doing that which God has called you to do. Guess what? You're never going to get burned out and you'll never hear a pastor say you're going to get burned out by trying to be a good husband. <laughs> you're never going to burn out by trying to be a faithful wife. It's not going to happen. God gives us commands because in those commands is life and life abundantly. So where the shepherd leads is life. Don't believe me? Why did I choose to read verse 10? Verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and destroy, but I came that they may have a life and have it abundantly. So here's the deal. When you meet temptation, when you meet trials, when you meet, when you meet just wanting to tear someone's head off because you're so angry, remember, your sin is not going to make you happy and it's not going to give you life abundantly. The shepherd gives life and isn't in his commands is life. It may hurt in the moment because your desires are strong. And that's okay. But they need to be channeled. C.S. Lewis said that, that, that we, like sheep, are often guilty. I can't remember the exact quote, but something to the effect of, uh, you know, we, we find it a problem to be desirous or have affections for things. But he says, no, no, that's not it. Actually, God finds our desires and our wanter, so to speak, to be far inadequate. We need to turn it up. But we need to turn it up and realize that that true happiness, that true joy, that true affection is found in Jesus Christ and the life that he gives both through his spirit and through his law. This is a good shepherd, friends, because he lays his life down for the sheep and because he intimately knows his sheep. Psalm 1, Psalm chapter 1 says that God knows the way of the righteous. That's not that he just knows the way that they are. He's intimately He's intimately uh, just given to that path. He's intimately acquainted with it. He is causing it. He is moving it. He is guarding it. He is the good shepherd. And thirdly, he gathers and unites his sheep. He gathers and unites his sheep. Moving on, he says in verse 16, And I have other sheep, 
which are not from this fold. I must bring them also, and they will hear my voice. (laughs) They will hear my voice, and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Matthew 11, 27 says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son wills to reveal him. Did you catch that last part? Who wills to reveal him. Jesus... Yes, he came to be the Savior of Israel, but he also came to save the Gentile. He came to unite the church into one body. You see, in the Old Testament, there was a hard division uh, between the national borders of Israel and the, um, uh, the heritage, so to speak, of the Israelites. You might understand this using the word race. I don't love that word. Uh, there's one race, and we are all in Adam. which is why racism is so horrible and deplorable. But here's the reality. Jesus came to do what? To seek and to save the lost. Jesus' arm, friend, is not too short to save. That's why He came. And He didn't just come to save you and three of your other best friends. He came to reconcile a people to Himself and to one another. And He does it on His own. He does it by revealing Himself to His people. Isaiah 56.8 says, Lord God who gathers the dispersed of Israel declares, yet others I will gather to them. You guys know we've been walking through the book of Ephesians for about like six years now, right? So about four and a half years ago, we were in Ephesians chapter 2. And there was an entire sermon that I believe, I think I preached this one, I don't know, I think maybe Darren maybe double-tapped it on the back, and, 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 and to some degree we kind of hit the, the same text here, but, but let me see if you remember this. Verses 13 through 18 of Ephesians chapter 2. But now, Paul says, in Christ Jesus, the shepherd of whom we speak, you who formerly were far off, the Gentiles, that's you by the way, unless we have some 100% Jewish people in here, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For He Himself is our peace who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in His flesh the enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in Himself He might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross and by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Jesus is not content just letting people go. This is why we believe here with the Orthodox Christians of all the ages, that Jesus Christ moves and acts on behalf of His people. He does so lovingly. He does so 
and I will say it this way, forcefully. Growing up in Baptist churches, I often heard, oh, the Holy Spirit won't press himself upon you. He's a gentleman. He is a gentleman, but he will press himself on his people. Elsewhere, Jesus says, no one can come to the Father but by me. The Greek there is interesting. Because a better way to translate what's happening in that sentence is to say that no one comes to the Father but that they be dragged by me. See, the teaching of the Bible, friends, is not that you are awesome and you make good decisions and one day you woke up and you decided to follow Jesus and now you have a shepherd and now your life is going to go awesome. No. The truth of Christianity is that our hearts are wicked above all things and that we walk in rebellion against our Savior and our shepherd and that apart from his, his active grace on your behalf, we would be hell-bound, hell-bent, and we would not deserve a glance from our heavenly shepherd. But he comes after. He loves he cherishes. The Psalms say He sings over us songs of joy. That we are being conformed to His image and we're being conformed to His image because He moves, acts, unites, and gathers. There's a story you remember um, in the Gospels where He's telling a parable about a shepherd who leaves the 99 to go after the one. This is not a God who is not intimately involved with you. In closing, I want to give you a few points of application. What does this mean? The first thing that all of this means is that you have a heavenly shepherd who is going to walk with you through every joy and every pain that will come your way. That you are not left by yourself. I don't know if this is true of everybody, but it's, it's been true of me. The older I get, the less I like to sleep. And I just wake up randomly. And I hate it. <laughs> but what's good is I'm starting to understand the Psalms a little bit more. Because over and over in the Psalms, it talks about how the, the great shepherd wants us to meet him in the night watches. And so I wake up and, and I feel the weight of loving you all and caring for you all and, and the things that you're going through and I'm able to meet and pray on behalf of you. Did you know that you're a great shepherd prays for you? The scriptures say that Jesus mediates our prayers so that God the Father can hear them because even our prayers suck. It's good that you know this about yourself, right? I was reading a Puritan the other day and he said, it's the lowly people who consider themselves so low and are covered in humility that actually can see the sweetness and savor Jesus. Because if you think you don't need him, then you don't need to cling to him. And if you don't cling to him, then you don't have a shepherd. I pray about my temptations and I ask him to help me, to guard me, to protect me. And I stay ever close to the heavenly shepherd. Secondarily, what that means by way of 
application is this. Uh, You don't have to pretend to be someone you're not to Jesus. He knows you. Intimately. You're not hiding anything from Him. Cry out to Him. Lord, there's this besetting sin in my life and I need You to help me with this. I need You to guide me through paths of righteousness. I want to be like this tree in Psalm 1 that is by by this water being nourished by You and Your presence. Or I'm really struggling right now. I can't see the end of what's around the corner here. And I am scared. I need a shepherd. And you will meet him in the word. And you will meet him in your prayer closet. And he will comfort you. And he will be the balm to your myriad of both self-inflicted and others afflicted and nature afflicted wounds. First Peter 2.25 says, For you were continually straying like sheep, and now you have returned to the shepherd and the guardian of your souls. Because Jesus gathers and unites, you can trust him to not just be for you, but to be for others as well. Oftentimes we're very fearful that Jesus will protect his sheep because we love his sheep. And and then we think, well, if they don't fix this, then, by the way, this will help you parent. Even though I'm not a parent, I've read enough books and thought about it enough to, to help you in this way. Do you trust Jesus, the high shepherd, with your children? Or do you think that you have to control everything that they're doing? Pray for them. Sometimes that'll be way better for you than to just micromanage what they're doing. Now, Train them up in the way they should go, lest they flee from righteousness. Amen? But trust the great shepherd of the sheep. Thirdly and lastly, and maybe most importantly, everything I've just said right now is aimed at the sheep. If you don't know Jesus and you don't love Jesus, and you do not hear his voice, then everything I've just said does not apply to you. But the good shepherd, the noble shepherd, the worthy shepherd stands at the gate and he calls you to come. He calls you to throw down your crown and to put on some wool. He calls you to cling closely to him. And he's also calling you seasoned Christian who might be in a rut to cling to him closely as well. Jesus is our treasure because he is the good shepherd. Because he walks with us through the valley of the shadow of death. And because of that, we may fear no evil. Why? Not because he's going to get us out of trouble. But as the scripture says, because he is with us. Do you believe that about your good shepherd, Christian? Will you believe that non-Christian? That you can have a shepherd who will walk with you, who will love you, and help you through everything imaginable. And he can do so in ways that I have failed to communicate this morning. Paul says that it is the unsearchable, the NASB says the unfathomable riches of Christ. If you think what I'm saying now is hard to understand in terms of how much this Jesus, this shepherd loves you, cares for you, and wants to walk with you, remember it's better than that. It's better than that. Will you pray with me? 
Father God, we thank you so much that you have given us your son Jesus to shepherd our hearts and souls. And we ask that you would continue to grow us and you would continue to help us understand the realities of who you are and what you have done. We ask that you would take the truths of these scriptures and apply it to our hearts that we may cling to you, love you, and throw down any barrier to entry of the fold. Call us from the fold of the world into the fold of your sheep. And we ask this in Jesus' name, by the power of the Spirit. Amen.